Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. It's been an interesting week. (laughs) And I can tell you that there is nowhere I would rather be today than right here with my church family talking about the greatness of our God. Today we're going to talk about what's referred to as the triumphal entry. And this is Jesus' last entry into Jerusalem uh, before the crucifixion. This kicks off the events of what we refer to as Passion Week. Uh, And this triumphal entry is found in all four of the Gospels, in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and then today's text, John chapter 12. Uh, The title that that I put on this today is Kicking Over the Ant Bed, and and really it just kind of came from this line of thinking uh, if Jerusalem, if you think about Jerusalem as an ant bed, then what Jesus did on this day some 2,000 years ago was to just kick the ant bed over. Uh, for, for his entire earthly ministry, uh, you read things like Jesus healed and said, don't tell anybody. And Jesus cast out demons and said, keep this quiet. Uh, he, even in his first miracle, he told his mother, my time is not now. It's not yet my time. All throughout scripture, all throughout the life of Jesus, we see him Uh, performing these miraculous things, these signs and wonders, but he did it in relative anonymity. And and you would say, well, why is that? You know, today's culture, if you could do any of those things, you would do it and immediately get it out on social media. You'd get a a PR firm to help you broadcast it and try to get as many people to come to your event as possible. You would charge 60 bucks a head for a conference and and you would do all those great things and you would sell books and go on book tours and be on Oprah. Not Oprah anymore. There's no Oprah. Anyway, you'd be on Dr. Phil, I guess now. I don't know why you keep doing these things over and over. Anyway, so that's a terrible Dr. Phil. Um, so anyway, so you, in, our, in our culture, it's hard for us to understand why Jesus would do things uh, you know, in, 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 in conspicuous ways, but inconspicuously. Like he, he's casting out demons. He's raising people from the dead. He, he's delivering people from all kind of terrible sickness and illness, and yet he's not doing it on the grand stage. And then that shifts, that changes with his raising of Lazarus. Uh, we, we've, I've preached this before, that this was the fuse for Friday, uh, the, the, the resurrection of Lazarus. Uh, you can read back in John 11 the story of all how that happened, and, and the disciples were confused. They, they came and told Jesus his friend was sick. He said, now nah, we're going to stay here, Netflix and chill for a few more days. And they're like, why aren't we going? And they're, they're doubting him. And then they go, and, and, and one of the sisters comes out and is like, what's up? And Jesus said, I got this. Don't you believe I'm the resurrection of the life? She's like, well, I mean, I know that, but like my brother's still dead. And he's like, no, you don't understand. And so then he does this thing where he stands in front of the tomb. He stands in front of, you know, where the body is. And he prays out loud. <clears throat> Very conspicuous that he does this here because he doesn't do it other places. And, and he says something like this. I'm not, I'm not quoting, but I'm just kind of giving you the, the Kevin translation. He, he says, all right, Father, I'm talking to you out loud so these people can hear, but me and you know we got that connection. I'm not talking out loud so you can hear me. I'm talking out loud so they can hear me, and I want you to be glorified in this. Lazarus, come forth. Now, one of the sisters had just said, Lord, he's dead. He stinks. What are you talking about? She completely didn't understand. And so he says this, and everybody's listening. Everybody's watching, uh, and the dead man comes walking out. And so word spreads, and, and it gets back to Jerusalem, and, and, and the town is abuzz. And so this entry he makes is, everybody's waiting on it. This is like the, the, the greatest thing that's happened in a long time, and everybody's anxious for it. And, and, and 
and we're going to talk about it in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's, let's back up. So four Gospels, we know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels, 25 chapters out of four Gospels are dedicated to this week. 25 chapters. Out of 33, 35, 36, we don't know exactly, you know, 30-something years of Jesus' life and all of his earthly ministry and all the things that he did, yet 25 chapters are devoted to this week. Here's the timeline, the basic timeline. Sunday, today, what we're celebrating, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. Monday would be the cleansing of the temple. Tuesday, Jesus gives the Olivet Discourse. On Wednesday, Jesus, uh, Judas betrays Jesus. On Thursday, they observe the Last Supper. On Friday, they have the crucifixion and the burial. On Saturday, the tomb is being guarded and everybody's kind of freaked out and losing their minds. And then, of course, I love the old Sunday's coming. And this Sunday was the resurrection day. He came out of the grave. Now, I don't know, uh, we can't say specifically a lot about the crowd, but I want to kind of get our attention to focus on the crowd that was here this day, okay? I'm going to give you three things that the crowd did that we can understand from the text that the crowd recognized or, or, or realized or felt, and then I want us to think about how we relate to that crowd, okay? We're a crowd here in 2023. I want us to think about how we compare to this crowd some 2,000 years ago as Jesus came into Jerusalem. If you would, I know you've been seated for just a minute. If you would stand, I want us to never forget that we are holding in our hands when we have a Bible the inspired and errant, infallible, all-sufficient word of Almighty God. He didn't have to give us a book. He didn't have to give us the instructions, but he did. And so I want to honor the public reading of his word by standing. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. The next day when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it, just as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. That's, pause, that's remarkable, y'all, by the way. The disciples did not understand, even though they were all steeped in the Jewish tradition and religion, and they knew all the stuff they were supposed to know, it, it still didn't click for them until after the, the resurrection, after he was raised. Uh, verse 17, Meanwhile, the crowd which had been with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, so we know that's the same crowd, and raised him from the dead, continued to testify. This is also why the crowd met him, because they heard he had done this sign. Then the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Father, speak to us today through your word, through your spirit, through your flawed servant, for the glory of your son. God, speak today and let us hear you clearly and respond in obedience. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So again, three primary things about the triumphal entry that let us know what this crowd did or felt or thought. Number one, they celebrated him as the Christ. There is no mistaking, there is no confusion that these people in this crowd recognized and celebrated that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. This word that you read there in verse 13 where they kept shouting, Hosanna, is actually a phonetic spelling used to make the sound of a Hebrew phrase. The, the Hebrew words yasha, 
which means to deliver or to save, and ana means beg or beseech, combined to form a word that in English we translate as Hosanna. So it's really Yasha'ana. So, so Yasha'ana would be kind of what they were saying, but, but in the Greek and in, in English we see it as Hosanna, which literally means I beg you to save or please deliver us. Now, these words together are only found one place in the Old Testament, and that's Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Yasha'ana. Please, we beg you, save us. So they obviously recognized this man who had done these wonders was the Christ. He's the only one who could save them. He, they, they were looking forward to the Messiah coming. They, all of their life, again, I, I say this all the time as we're working through the book of Acts on Wednesdays. Um, the, the, the people who were following Jesus were not leaving Judaism. They were not anti-Judaism. They thought in their minds and their understanding of, of the scriptures and the Torah, they were taking the next logical step of Judaism. All of Judaism said, hey guys, Messiah's coming. And then they're saying, well, there he is. So not, we're not leaving Judaism. We're, we're, we're advancing Judaism. We're, we're taking the next logical step. So they would say this, Yasha'ana, please deliver us. Please save us. We recognize you. We, we know that you are the Christ, and we're celebrating that you have come to Jerusalem, God's holy man in God's holy city, to deliver God's people from our oppressors. It's translated different ways in, in different passages. In Matthew 21, uh, it's translated Hosanna to the son of David. In Mark 11, it's rendered as Hosanna in the highest, as we sang in that song. And then here in John 12, just Hosanna. But no matter which, which way you remember it, which version of the gospel you're reading it from, they all were shouting for Jesus to save them. Because he's the only one that could. By the way, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, I've got good news for you. He's still the only one that can save you. No politician, no amount of money, no strong man, no dangerous man, no weapon. Nothing can save you except the Christ, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. So number one, they celebrated him as the Christ. Number two, they recognized him as royalty. Look at verse 15. Jesus is found on a young dog, found a young dog, he sat on it, and then verse 15 references back to Zechariah 9.9. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The, the spreading, and some, some, of the, uh, some of the gospels refer to it as they were spreading uh, their coats, their cloaks, as well as the palm branches. Either way, what they were doing was a royal treatment. They were laying out something on the ground so that this royalty, this person of royal stature, did not have to walk with his feet in the dirt. So they were laying these things out as an act of submission to him as royalty. They recognized who he was, and they said, look, you are royalty. We're going to lay out these things so you can go over the top of them. And this is what they did when kings were anointed. It's interesting to me to go back to 1 Kings chapter 19. This is right after uh, Elijah has had this great triumph. He's, he's battled against the, the prophets of Baal. Y'all remember the story? Uh, they had this showdown on the mountaintop, and he's like, all right, uh, take a bull, put it on an altar, cut it up, and then whoever's God shows up is the real God. And so the prophets of Baal first start, and they're screaming and yelling and jumping around. They're cutting themselves, and he's like, 
Maybe your God's gone potty. Maybe your God's taking a big nap. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's checking his social media. Just maybe get louder, be more. So they like cut themselves and they're screaming and yelling. And and of course, nothing happens. You know why? The same reason when you worship and serve fake gods in your life, drugs, alcohol, sex, popularity, uh, hello? When, When you worship your own self, Yourself cannot do the signs and wonders that our God can do. Why? Because it's not a God. It's a God, little g, which is a terrible thing to make it, but it is not God, big G. There's only one of those, and that was Elijah's God. So Elijah comes in and says, I'll tell you what, let me, let me show you how this is done. Not only am I going to do this, wet it all down, fill these trenches with water, pour water over everything. And he prayed, and fire came from heaven and devoured the sacrifice and licked up all the water, and then he killed the prophets of Baal, and this, like, In my mind, I'm thinking, man, that is awesome. I would be so fired up if God had done something like that through me. If I'm I'm a modern-day Elijah and I do something, I see God perform this awesome thing, I'm going to be walking around like, "Uh uh-huh. Anybody else want some? What other gods y'all got? Because I ain't got nothing but time and opportunity. And yet, what do we find Elijah doing? Hiding. Why? Had some old mean woman mad at him. Not that I can't relate to that. <laughs> I ain't telling you that I wouldn't hide from a mean woman that was mad at me. I'm just saying. I don't know that I would do it right after I'd seen God burn up a, an offering and all the water and all that stuff and, and kill the prophets of Baal. I think maybe I'd go, God did all this stuff and I got a mean woman. I'm going to trust God. But no, Elijah runs. He flees and he goes up in this mountain. And remember what happens right before this passing. We're getting there. Y'all are like, this ain't got nothing to do with sermon. That's okay. This is free. So, so right before we, what I'm going to read to you, Elijah goes up and remember there was an earthquake and God wasn't there. And there was a great wind and God wasn't there. Then there was a fire and God wasn't there. And where was God? In the still, small voice. God encourages Elijah. He basically says, get something to eat and take a nap. Amen. I'm going to do that after church. And in, in 1 Kings 19, verses 16 and 17, he tells him to go anoint this king of Israel, and his name was Jehu. Sounds a little like Jesus. Jesus, Jehu. So he tells him to anoint him, and he tells him that Jehu is going to wipe out Ahab and Jezebel and, and pay them back for all that they've done to Israel. And right after he anoints him, we, we, we have to go a long way to get to that. It's 2 Kings 9. But in 2 Kings 9, verse 13, it says, uh, this is after he's anointed him, and he's coming into the city, Each man quickly took his garment and put it under Jehu on the bare steps. See what they did? The same thing we see the people doing to Jesus. They're honoring him as royalty. They're recognizing his royalty, and they're putting these cloaks and and things underneath him so he didn't have to walk in the dirt. Never forget that Jesus is the central story in all of Scripture. In Genesis, when it says, let us make man in our image, Jesus was part of us. He was there, Elohim is the plural for God, and that's plural because there was three in one. He was there. The ark is a symbol of what Christ does for us. When Moses led the children of, Egypt, children of Israel out of captivity in Egypt, that was a symbol, a sign, a foretelling of what Jesus would do for us. Moses led the people out of slavery. Jesus came to take the slavery out of us. The central theme throughout all of scripture is Jesus. The prophet Zechariah, some 500 years before this day, 
The prophet Zechariah foretold of this. He wrote in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. He's humble and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. So they recognized him as royalty. They celebrated him as Christ. Palm leaves and Hosanna. They recognized his royalty. They put the palm leaves down, cloaks, whatever, so he could walk over the top of them. He sits on a, a donkey's colt and he rides into town. And that's what they were expecting. Here's the main problem that we're going to run into that we see in Israel and we also see in our lives. They expected a king to come riding in on a war horse, not a lowly servant coming in riding on the colt of a donkey. They wanted Jesus to come and set them out of Roman oppression. Just like Moses took them out of Egypt, they wanted Jesus to come take them out of the Roman rule, and they wanted to put themselves be back on top of the world stage. They wanted to be in charge. And if we're not careful, we have that same expectation. We don't want Jesus to come in and submit our lives to him. We want him to come in and be a cosmic butler and give us what we want when we want it. And then we get mad when he doesn't. I prayed for this, I asked for this, I didn't get it, so now I'm mad. No. If you're familiar with history, if you go back and look at nations across the globe that had kings, that had royalty, you don't redress the government in England like you do here. They don't have a constitution, a bill of rights. They don't have something that tells them you have the, the freedom of speech to go and say, hey, I don't like what my government is doing. If you don't like what your government is doing in a place where you have a king, you better shut your mouth and, and you better not even whisper that because if it gets out, you know what the king does? Oh, you're mad at me about something? I tell you what, we're going to fix that. Boys, off with his head. And if they take enough of y'all out in the city streets and chop your head off, and then he's going to do this. Anybody else mad? Anybody else got a problem with the king? Y'all be like this. Okay, king, what's up, man? We, we, we all about the king. See, our issue is not with what's going on. Our issue is our response to it. Our issue is that when we face hard times, we blame God. We sin. By the way, if you don't think you're part of we, read your scriptures. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Greek word all, for the word all is pos. And pos means all, everything, the entirety, everyone. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we don't deserve any good things. People say to me, are you surprised that bad things happen to good people? Again, number one, your premise is faulty. There are no good people. But number two, no, I'm not surprised when bad things happen. I'm kind of shocked when good things happen. I know me. <laughs> I, I have to deal with me and put up with me all the time. I don't deserve good things. Based on the word of God, the scriptures, based on the life of Christ, which, by the way, is my measuring stick he is my example God is conforming me in the image of his son but John sometimes it's a slower process than I want it to be when, when, when God is conforming by the way conforming just sounds like you're, you're doing some work doesn't it conforming is like origami C conforming is like sculpture conforming is like working with metal you have to bend it and push it and break it and chisel it you got to do some work, and he is conforming me in the image of his son, but I'm not there yet. So when bad things happen to me, I'm like, yep, that's pretty much, pretty much on par with what I think I deserve. When good things happen, I'm like, whoo, God, you are so good to me. See, we got to change the way we think about things. And we're, we're only going to do that if we recognize his royalty and we submit to the lordship of Christ. 
That's why I use that phrase over and over and over again. I'm not mad at asking Jesus into my heart. I'm not. That's fine. Man, if, if, that's, if that's how, especially when you're young, I ask Jesus into my heart, that's fine. You know, I get a little bit perturbed. It kind of makes my eye twitch when I hear people say, I made Jesus Lord. No. <laughs> no. You've over, overestimated your abilities and your power, right? You didn't make him anything. God made him Lord before the foundation of the world. You recognized his lordship. You recognized him as royalty, and you submitted to his authority, which is what you should do. You're a subject of the king. You're a child of the king. You ought to recognize that just like they did, and you ought to submit to it. Number three, they lauded him as Lord. Lauded is cheered or, or, or praised. Their cheers were because they heard he raised the dead, not because they were submitting to him as Lord. Again, they celebrated him as the Christ, but they presumed that he being the Christ would come in and set up Israel to reign. And they recognized his royalty, but only in so much as it was going to benefit them. And then they lauded him as Lord, but again, Lord of what? Lord of Israel. <laughs> Lord of this world. And just for what it's worth, uh, if you look around a little bit, hopefully that'll get you to stop doing something that's the most fruitless thing you can do. And it's also one of the most human things we do. We're trying to create heaven on earth. We're trying to make America into heaven. We're trying to make our church, our job, our family, we're trying to make it into heaven. You're going to always be disappointed in that effort. You don't have the right raw materials to make heaven on earth. And you don't have the authority and the ability to make heaven out of earth. Keep serving him and keep knowing that he's already created. He's already made. It's just the already not yet. We're going to be there. We are already citizens, citizens of heaven, but we are going to one day reside there. And then all this stuff is not going to matter. All the pain and the hurt and the loss and the disappointment, all that stuff's going to be gone. They lauded him as Lord. There's this ongoing debate about whether this crowd that cried Hosanna was the same crowd that cried crucify. We're going to get into that a little bit more later. But here's what's undebatable. It's, you can't even, it's not up for argument. This group at this moment saw him as the promised Messiah. Even if they had a different understanding of what he was to do, they recognized him, they saw him, they knew, they lauded him, they praised him. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. So on this day, at this moment, as he was coming in Jerusalem, there was no doubt. The journey from Bethany where he had raised Lazarus from the dead was only a couple of miles so word surely would have gotten out. Now, if you'll have to go with me a little bit here. Let's pretend that it's modern times, okay? Remember, pretend we have all the technology and stuff we have now. All right, number one, nobody would have actually seen the resurrection of Lazarus because they'd have been doing what? Pause. I, I got a, we're going to have a little counseling session this morning. Y'all all right? People pay thousands of dollars. Next weekend's the Masters. People pay thousands of dollars. Thousands. 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 Like car paint. Like a car. I was going to buy a car, decided to go to the Masters. And they spend all that money. They go in the gallery at the Masters. And what do they do? They watch it through their phone. What is wrong with you? I, look, I'm old, but we used to go to stuff and watch stuff. <laughs> Becky's nodding. She knows. We used to go and just watch stuff. And then we would come back and tell people how awesome it was. Now we do this. Hey, 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 give me, give me phone. 
Oh, hey, look, look where I was. Why are we watching? Be present. Be there. Put your phone down. You can bring your ticket stub. We'll, we'll trust you were there. You ain't got to have some videos. Look, I see I was there. I don't care. Who went to the fireworks show? We'll see fireworks. Let me tell you what I don't want to see. Fireworks. Let me tell you what I want to see less than fireworks is fireworks on somebody's, on like Facebook. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so if, if we had the modern technology, we would not have seen the resurrection Lazarus. We'd have watched it through our phone. But they actually saw it. Now, what, what would have happened if we had that? If somebody was sitting there videotaping it, be like, hey, man, watch this. This guy says he's going to raise the dead. Ain't no way. See, see the tomb? Just black, dark in there. Ain't nobody in there. He ain't coming out. Lazarus, come forth. Hey, man, that's him. Hey, I fished for that guy. Hey, I saw that guy at the market last week. He, was, he, he looked bad then, but he died. He'd been dead four days. And here he comes out of the grave, wrapped in, in like, you know, like trying to struggle. He's wrapped in the grave clothes. Remember, Jesus had said, loose him. By the way, when he calls you out of your grave, he says to loose you too. Some of y'all need to get out your grave clothes. Yeah, I'm meddling. I don't care. I ain't preached in a month. Y'all write me a letter. <laughs> After the week I've had, write me too. I ain't going to bother me. They see Jesus do the miraculous. There is no longer any confusion about who this man is and what kind of authority and power he has. And so they run, tell that. Two miles. I bet you some of them sprinted it. I bet you they could have set a record if they had stopwatches in the New Testament of him digging to run, tell everybody what they just saw. Hey, man, I know this dude. Went to school with him. He'd been dead four days. This man stood out in front of the grave and said, come here, and he come here. So word has traveled. People in Jerusalem know there is a buzz. Again, the ant bed is vibrating with expectation. You know what? When, when molten lava, uh, magma is under the earth's crust, it, it's hot and it's boiling and it's bubbling and there's pressure. And sometimes that pressure has to be released. That's why you have volcanoes. That's why you have geysers where that, that energy has to be dispelled. And here in Jerusalem, it was a powder keg of expectation of emotion, of tenseness. They, everybody was waiting. Uh, did you hear? Hey, did you hear? Hey, did you hear the story? Hey, I know a guy who saw a guy who did this. I, I was there. I know I saw it. I saw it. I, it was there. We'd have been tweeting it. We'd have been on Instasham. We'd have been putting it out. We'd have been telling all of our nine followers who just couldn't wait to like our little post about we saw this guy walk out of a grave. And here we come. The crowd is a buzz when Jesus comes. And they have heard or saw what he did. And so they do all these things. They celebrate him as the Christ. They recognize him as royalty. They laud him as the Lord. And he comes in. And we can't say for sure. There's no way to say uh, emphatically, dogmatically, that this was the exact same crowd that was at the steps of the courthouse, basically, when, when they came out and said, do you want me to release Jesus or Barabbas? But it's likely. We know this, that there were some Jewish instigators, the Jewish political party who was afraid that Jesus was going to move their cheese and take away their authority, their power, and they wouldn't be held in such high regard anymore. The priesthood of believers is what Jesus is coming to implement, and they didn't want it. And so they were out there just like, like the little, you know, the little devil on your shoulder. 
Can I just tell you this? This is free too. You got some of those people in your life. No matter what miracles you've seen Jesus do in your life, you have people in your life. And by the way, if you're not careful, it'll be you. Going, nah, he's not really, he's not really all that. Nah, you don't have to submit to him as Lord. You can still do what you want to. It's not real. I watched a YouTube video where a guy dispelled the whole Bible. I heard of a speaker, some debater, I heard a guy wrote a book. It's not real. Or, or even one, one step back from that, yeah, he did it, but he can't do it again. Yeah, he, he raised the dead, but he can't fix your marriage. He raised the dead, but he can't save your kid from addiction. He, he raised the dead, but he can't heal you of whatever's going on in your life. Hey, he raised the dead, but he can't fix the problems that you're dealing with. That is a lie. That is a lie. He can and will do whatever he desires to do. Our perspective needs to be whatever he does is right. Even if it's not what we want, whatever he does is right. Whatever he chooses is right. There was at least some of the first crowd in the second crowd. There, there's at least some of the Hosanna crowd in the crucify crowd. The people wanted an earthly ruler to come. They didn't want the suffering servant from Isaiah 53. 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah says, he's coming. He's going to be marred. He won't even look like a man. They don't want that. They wanted a champion. Champions don't die. They wanted a military hero. Heroes don't die. Heroes don't get nailed to a cross. Even the disciples didn't understand it. Have you ever thought about that? That should make you feel better about times in your life when you've had some struggles or some doubts or some issues. The, the, the guys who walked closest with Jesus, the 11 guys minus the one that was like, you know, after he did what he did. Those 11 guys in Acts 1-6 are sitting up in, a, in an upper room scared out of their minds. They're afraid. They're worried. This is after Jesus has been raised. They're still freaked out. <clears throat> Jesus shows up, and here's their question. <laughs> you talk about missing the forest for the trees. Lord, will you be putting Israel back on top of the world now? And it's almost like you see Jesus go, oh. But he says, no. Acts 1.8, he says, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. They didn't get it, but Jesus kept teaching. They didn't get it, but Jesus kept discipling. And eventually they did get it. The Pharisees have been trying to quash this rebellion, but they realized their efforts were in vain. I, I just want to point this out. I love this. The crowd met him in verse 18 because they heard he had done the sign. And the Pharisees said in verse 19, you see you've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. We continue to see this throughout the New Testament. Even in Acts 5, uh, Peter and John have been arrested and, and the Sanhedrin want to kill them. And they basically, they've angered them so much, they won't deny this Christ. They won't do what they want them to do. And so they step out and they're talking. And then this Gamaliel, who was one of the most uh, respected teachers, rabbis in all of Israel, comes over and he says, hey, guys, if God's not in this, it'll fizzle. Just leave it alone. But if God's in this, you may find yourself on the other side of God, and that's not where you want to be. See, they had seen rebellions like this pop up and go away. And so Gamaliel, in all of his wisdom, was like, hey, let's just hold up. By the way, we need some Gamaliels today in our microwave society to be like, man, let's just hold up a minute. Hey, by the way, can I just share this? This is, man, I'm, y'all can tell I ain't done this for a month. I got all this stuff in me. 
hey, when something terrible happens or something outrageous happens, you ain't got to jump on social media and talk about it. Take, take a day. Man, take, take three. Take a week. Take a month. Sometimes you ain't got to talk about it at all. I see so many, we, we live in this society now, something happens, oh, I've got to get out there, i got to be first one to say something about it. Oh, i got to get on Twitter, i got to get on Facebook, i got to get on Instagram, i got to get, I got to get, everybody's got to know what I think. No. Take the advice of Gamaliel, let's, let's take a step back and see what's up. Let's find out the, all the facts. By the way, the, the news, that's part of the biggest problem with the news and the media in this country, they would rather be first than be right. It's okay. If you don't know about something that happens for 15 minutes, you will survive. I have seen it. Gamaliel says, just wait, let's see. See if God's in it. Can I just update y'all? Some 2,000 later, God's still in it. Some 2,000 years later, they're still trying to silence the report about Jesus, and the church is still moving forward. You know why? Because the church thrives in persecution. The worst thing you can do, you know how to kill a church? Comfort. Kill it dead as a wedge. Persecution? <laughs> Baby. That's like slapping miracle grow on a tomato plant. Persecution pumps the muscles of a church. Persecution pumps the heartbeat of a church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We know all these things, and yet we want comfort, and we don't want to advance the kingdom. Can I just tell you, if things keep going the way they look like they're going, we're going to find out who's real. Oh, we're going to find out. You, you can draw a crowd, but can you, can you keep people moving when persecution ramps up? And I'm telling you, I, I mentioned it Wednesday last week, and then Thursday morning, all, all of that stuff broke loose this week. And you know what I said? Yeah. Persecution is coming, and it will continue to ramp up. And as it ramps up, people on the outside are going to continue to tell you it's no big deal. They're going to continue to tell you that you Christians are the problem. They're going to continue to tell you that this is all fake and mystery and magic, and it's not real. And if you go back in history 2,000 years, you'll see where they were telling them essentially the same thing. And they did not stop, and neither will we. Let me close with this. I told you we are going to talk about both crowds. Here, here's my, my understanding in my life of well, what I've seen. People tend to switch crowds when things get difficult. Now, <clears throat> some of y'all remember, how long ago has it been now? About 16, 17 years ago. People would go out in public and they would start smelling mothballs. And, and it was because all these Alabama fans had come out of hiding. <laughs> you know, we, we had some, some problematic years and we weren't very good. And all of a sudden we hired a new coach and everybody got their old big A red hats and all that. And it was like, oh, man, <coughs> smells like mothballs in here. It's because all these Alabama fans are coming out. I'm old enough to remember when the Braves were terrible. When I was a kid, if you drove to Atlanta, you not only could sit wherever you wanted to, they might let you throw an inning of relief. <laughs> they might let you pinch hit if they were playing like the Big Red Machine or somebody really good. 
And then all of a sudden in the 90s, they started winning like 14 straight division titles. And all of a sudden, you listen, when I was growing up, you couldn't find a Braves hat or a Braves shirt. And in the 90s, everybody had them on. Why? Because people tend to switch teams when things get rough. Just like they'll jump on the bandwagon, they will jump right back off. Listen, uh, I'm not picking. I, I, told, I made fun of Alabama fans. Let me tell you something. Auburn a few years ago, we went from all in to family to fire them all in like three years. Why? Because we are fickle by nature. Listen to me, church. Don't you be like that. Don't you be fickle when it comes to Jesus. He did not promise you perfection and ease. He promised you persecution and tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. Paul says it this way. He's writing a letter to, to Timothy. He says, but know this, 2 Timothy 3, 1. Hard times will come in the last days. You see, it's really easy to be Hosanna when Jesus is coming into the city and you're expecting him to do what you want him to do. It's really easy to say Jesus is Lord when everything is good, when the bills are paid and, and everything's clicking along and, and you just feel good, your relationships are good, your kids are doing good. Can I just tell you, though, he's still Lord when everything ain't good. When everything is bad, he is still God. When everything is terrible, he is still Lord. When everything in your life seems to be falling apart, he is still worthy of your praise. Let me paraphrase my boy Job. Y'all know Job? I told you, I want to be like one and a half notches down from Job. When Satan comes around and says, uh, hey, I'm trying to find somebody to whoop up on, I don't want God to say, hey, do, you, do you know my servant Kevin? I want him to say, have you met Jamie? <laughs> have you met Fran? I'll stay back in the, in the third row from that, okay? But let me paraphrase Job. After all that was, had gone on, Job said this, though he slay me, yet I will worship him. I want you to hear me this morning. If God decides to smite me, if God decides to take everything from me, if God decides to crush me like a bug, the last thing that you will hear from my lips before he grinds me into the pavement will be glory to God. Though he slay me, I will praise him. Though difficult days are ahead, I will praise him. Though my health may fail, I will praise him. Though my soul may tremble, I will praise him. Though my spine may snap, I will praise him because his praise is not dependent on my position. His worthiness is not dependent on the, what he's giving me or how I feel about it. Paul goes on to remind his young apprentice Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 that all the scriptures are inspired by God, profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every, for every good work. That's why we can say with the psalmist in Psalm 56, 11, In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere humans do to me? Can I just share this with you? As things continue to ramp up in this world, it might be a good idea, church, if we were commit to commit Psalm 56, 11 to memory. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere humans do to me? Why can I say that? Because I've read the book. I've read the book so I understand about God. Let me go one step further. I have submitted to the Lordship of Christ so I know God. You don't know God from reading the book. You know about God from reading the book. You know God from walking out your faith, from working out your salvation in fear and trembling. Then you know God. And when you know God, you will see God. And John gives us a glimpse. Man, what a powerful 
glimpse in Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. He says, after this I looked, and there was a vast multitude. Can I just, for, for, for reference sake, vast multitude is a lot bigger than a crowd in Bethany. Vast multitude is a lot bigger than a crowd of people yelling crucify in Jerusalem. A vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number standing before the throne and before the Lamb there robed in white with palm branches in their hands. See, he's still going to be celebrated as royalty, as Christ, as Lord for all eternity. And they cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. There will be no crowd switching then. So here's what I want to do and here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I want to practice on earth what I'm going to do in eternity. I want to practice praising him on earth. Now listen, to do that, i got to work through some stuff. Uh, number one, i got to work through old Kev. i got to work through that flesh. i got to continue to let the spirit beat the flesh down every day and keep it from raising up and pushing me into the wrong direction. i got to keep that flesh from making decisions for me. I've got to let the spirit make decisions for me. I want to practice doing that every day. I want to submit more and more to Jesus every day so that when I get to eternity, I am practiced up and I am ready to give him the glory that he deserves. I want to make every effort to celebrate him, recognize him, and laud him in every aspect of my life. Every day I live, as long as I live. So I got two questions and we'll close. Question number one, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? And, and listen, here's what I want you to understand. You have to answer that question. You have to answer that question. What will you do with him? You can't just ignore him because he is either Messiah or not. He is, the Bible tells us he is going to be the judge. He is going to sit in judgment. You have to make a decision. You can't plead ignorance. You have to make a decision. What will you do with Jesus? And number two, along with that first question, which crowd will you be a part of? Are you going to choose to be part of the Hosanna crowd? Yasha'ana. Yasha'ana. Please save me. Or are you going to be part of the crucified crowd? Are you going to be part of the crowd that chooses Barabbas? Would you stand with me? The worship team is going to come and lead us in one last song. When they chose Barabbas, by the way, they were choosing their own flesh. You may say, I would never choose Barabbas, but I bet you would choose you sometimes. They weren't really choosing Barabbas. They were telling them to get rid of this Jesus. Why? Because he didn't meet their expectations. They wanted a Jesus, they wanted a Messiah who was going to come and put them in charge and he was coming to tell them they were going to suffer. What will you do with Jesus and which crowd will you be a part of? Are you going to be a, a part of the Hosanna crowd that cries out to Jesus for salvation and then worships him and serves him the rest of your life? Are you going to be part of the crucified crowd that says, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus because I don't want to have to suffer. I don't want to have to submit. I want my way, not his way. That's the decision that I'm laying before you today. Now, I'm going to say a prayer. When I say amen, that's your time to move. You need to come to faith in Christ. You need to rededicate your life. Maybe you've given your life to Jesus, but you haven't been shouting Hosanna. You've been shouting crucified. 
Maybe today's the day where you would change that. You need to join our church here. Whatever you need to do, whatever the Lord has prompted you to do, I want you to be obedient. So I'm going to pray when I say amen, you move. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to gather, to worship you in song, to celebrate who you are, and to study your word together, to listen to your word. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for taking the blinders off of me and letting me see you for who you are. God, maybe you do that for somebody today. Whatever you want to do, Lord, we give this time to you. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move, that you would prompt and prick our hearts to be obedient to what we need to do so that we can cry Hosanna, we can worship our risen King. Father, exalt yourself, point people to your Son. We pray this in his name. Amen.